Welcome back in, and as promised, we are going to visit with Mr. Mark Burrell. We are excited to have him on the program with us for the very first time, and it's going to be a good one. Rediscovering the American Covenant is the name of his book. It is a roadmap to restore America. And, uh, Mark, it is a real pleasure to have you on Priority Talk uh, here in Alabama. Welcome in, sir. Great to be with you, Greg. Well, wonderful. Look, I, I've been before you came on, I was just bragging on your work here, bragging on the book. Um, I get, I was telling the audience, I get, oh, you know, sometimes 10 to 15 books a week, uh, you know, if wanting to be on the show. And, I, and I, I pick a couple of them a week to have on. And uh, this was a no-brainer. In fact, we worked real hard to coordinate our schedules through the holidays and such to get you on. Um, uh, tell us about yourself. I, I can't wait to get into the book, but I feel like we need to know more about you and your faith and uh, your background and just, just to understand where you're coming from. So just share your, share your short testimony with us, so to speak. Yeah, sounds good. So I'm originally from the Philadelphia area. I grew up in the Episcopal Church. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a Christian home and uh, ended up going and getting my engineering degree. I've got about 39 years of experience in the, uh, in the private sector doing engineering kinds of things. And I've had a teaching ministry for over 30 years. So the teaching side of this is uh, outside of what I do professionally. But uh, uh, yeah, I got into this project about 25 years ago, I was really fortunate. I had an excellent mentor who came along at a great time in my life. I was in my early 20s, and I had a lot of questions about my faith. I didn't learn much in the Episcopal Church. <laughs> and so uh, I was really fortunate. This guy took me through theology and uh, really got me started in, uh, in my teaching ministry. And um, ended up getting married. Uh, I do have uh, four children. I've got six grandchildren, and uh, I just love to teach the Bible and talk to people about their faith. Well, outstanding. Great. Um, 39 years in engineering. Wow. Quite a career. Yeah, I tell people I'm a recovering engineer. <laughs> I don't uh, have a pocket protector. And, uh, you know, engineers, we can be a little difficult if you ask us what time it is. We're liable to tell you how to build a watch. Sure. sure. And so uh, I work very hard at I love the technical stuff, but I've worked very hard to try and streamline and simplify, which hopefully you saw in the book, Yeah. Uh, because there is a lot of information in there, and uh, uh, yeah, I'm just anxious to talk about well, it. Well, there is. Well, the book is wonderful, and uh, I, I, you've got the Liberty Bell on the cover, I guess, so to speak, um, uh, yeah. or, or an image similar to the Liberty Bell, and uh, so that, that helps me tie in the Philadelphia tie-in, so that makes a lot of yeah. sense. I, I love the cover, the, the white with the red and the blue, and then... And then even before we get into the content, I, I'm just enamored with the book itself, the way you put it together, and the illustrations on the inside. Uh, who who put those together for you? You know, I, I really appreciate you calling out the illustrations. Not a lot of people do, hmm. and uh, they're killer. I they mean, are, they're really, wonderful, yeah. Yeah, they're, just to describe to the audience, they're two-page full spread. So when you open up to a new chapter, there's uh, for each chapter, there's 11 chapters plus an intro. So 12 two-page full-spread illustrations to try and make a point. Each one of them has something to do with the covenant. And so the, the covenant, maybe just to cut to the chase, when I say rediscovering the American covenant, the point that I make in the book is that the root cause problem of the, of the issues that we have in America, and again, this is my engineering side, you know, what's the root cause? 
It's not that we're not following the Constitution. That's a problem, but that's not the root cause problem. The root cause problem is that we have a significant number of our fellow Americans who have fundamentally rejected our national founding covenant. And that is the Declaration of Independence. And so every chapter has a, at least one illustration. There are a number of others. But, uh, but that opening illustration, I don't know if you picked up on it, but there's yeah. a subtitle for each. Uh, and it'll, it'll make a comment about the covenant. So, so, for instance, Chapter 2, which uh, talks about establishing the civil government, it's, uh, it's the reason for a covenant. It's why, why God establishes covenants. It's, it's so that we can establish order, in this case, to prevent what happened prior to the flood, yeah. because it was a disaster. So, yeah, I, I appreciate you calling that out, because uh, uh, I just think they're, they're a killer. And I ended up, I did a project at work. Uh, one of these short videos with an illustrator, and we were trying to explain systems engineering in three minutes. <laughs> oh, wow. So, uh, I was just so impressed with this guy. And as we did the project, we uh, came to realize that we were both believers. And uh, and about a month went by, and I thought to myself, well, duh, I should ask this guy if he'd be interested in helping me with this project. And that was about seven years ago. And so Tom Post is his name. I'm in the Cincinnati area, uh-huh. by the way. Uh-huh. And uh, Tom Post Art, I think, is his, uh, his official name. And, yeah, he just came up with this whole new genre, and uh, I just love it. He's done a great job. Well, they're wonderful. They, they add to the book in just an incredible way. I, I, and the, the, uh, the chapter two, that's the exact one I had it open to um, when I was asking you about it. So, yeah, it, that really is good uh, with Noah and the Ark and... Uh, you know why we have a covenant um, in those days every man did what was right in his own eyes and uh, that didn't work out so well and uh, that's why you need a covenant right yeah yep, that's exactly right and so we want to rediscover so, yeah, the American covenant yeah that's the point I'm trying to make is that what we need to do is recognize the importance of that particular covenant and and the way I got there and here's what makes the book very different uh, for your audience uh, when I I've read uh, lots of Christian history books, and you know I know uh, a lot of people know about Wall Builders with uh, David Barton, mm-hmm. uh, who's uh, been a great uh, resource for me, and also Bill Federer, who endorsed the book. By the way, He's, his endorsement's on the back. Yes, he's also an excellent Christian historian. But what's different about this book is I used my theological training that my mentor gave me 30 years ago, and and I start and I go through the Bible and I look for any verse that has to do with liberty, justice, rights, or governing, or nations. What's God's plan for the nations? And and I just started to lay them all out and I was flabbergasted, first of all, at how many passages there are. I mean, there are literally thousands of verses mm-hmm. to help us answer this question about how to get along with our neighbor. And uh, and so I just started arranging them, and then trying to simplify and streamline them. And, and we've gotten, I think we've gotten this down to a very succinct, here is what the Bible says uh, on, on how to start a nation and how to govern justly, which is what we learn right after the flood in Genesis 9, that that's what God wants from the nations. He wants them to be fruitful. He wants them to increase in number. He wants them to spread out, and he wants them to govern justly. He does not want to repeat of what happened prior to the flood. In fact, he demands it three times when you read it in Genesis 9, 5, and 6, which should get our attention, right, as Christians? Uh, Three times. Where else does God demand anything from us? Well, if you've, if you've wondered where many of the principles that our nation uh, was founded with come from, 
uh, you'll find them in this book. I mean, he, he you you lay it out um, that it, empirically that they came from the Bible. Uh, the men who uh, who put this together, who put our nation together, the Declaration of Independence, that covenant, uh, they were steeped in in the Scripture, and uh, you, you know. I don't. I don't know that they were sitting around reading chapter and verse all the time, going, "Let's put this in here. Let's put this in here." But it was just. I guess Mark helped me. It was just kind of part of who they were. It was their makeup because they had, uh, they had been so saturated, I guess, in 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 the Bible and Scripture, uh, much more so than the average person is today, that um, yeah. it, it just naturally flowed out of them. Is that correct? Yeah, so this is why the history leading up is so important, yeah. and I give a little bit of that in the book as well. But remember, the uh, this whole thing really sprang out of the Reformation, where we uh, got the Bible written in, in uh, English so that the common person could see it. We had the printing press who made books more affordable, and people started re- reading the Bible for themselves and challenging long-held church doctrine, including how do we govern ourselves. And so this is where the divine right of the king and the divine right of the Pope really got challenged in the colonies where uh, these believers were living on the edge of the world. They had no choice but to apply biblical principles because there was no one else. And so they really rediscovered that this is why the Mayflower Compact is so important. It's because it was a covenant, mm-hmm. and they exactly followed the process. They were planning to go to Jamestown, and the prevailing winds would not let them uh, sail south to Jamestown. So when they decided to stay in Plymouth, they realized we need a covenant, and so they they developed one. Just uh, 10 or so, or 20 years later, they developed uh, additional documents, the Fundamental Orders of Connecticut, which is largely considered to be the first written constitution. This is why Connecticut is referred to as the Constitution State. Uh, and then they, they developed a Charter of Liberties in 19, uh, 1641, I think it was, which is a forerunner of our Bill of Rights. And these pastors were figuring this out. And so you had all this happening, and then you had the Great Awakening, which occurred in the early 1600s, around 16, late 1630s, and about a 20 to 30-year period where you had the Wesley brothers and Whitfield walking around giving thousands of sermons yep. and leading to incredible revival. And who was growing up during all of that? That's right. The, the founders were. And this is, this is what God does. He sends the Bible, and he energizes an, a generation. And when it came time to stand on their faith, they had the conviction to do it because of all that, the confluence of those events. And then, of course, a, a 13-year period where England was just continuing to, to usurp their God-given rights. And they finally said, we have no choice but to separate. And they wrote this uh, wonderful document, the Declaration of Independence. Okay, let's take a break right there and come back on the other side. Uh, It's Rediscovering the American Covenant. Mark Burrell, we've uh, got that linked up for you on our website, PriorityTalkRadio.com. You can find the book there and more about Mark. We hope you'll do that. And we'll let him share his website with you as well. Stay with us here on Priority Talk. We're having a great conversation. It's the Roadmap to Restore America with Mark Burrell. Scale your business with a dedicated team of experts. A marketing vendor focuses on profit. A marketing partner focuses on your business. With Dot Edison, there is no more taking, only serving. Feel great about your marketing 
with Doc Edison. Call them at 205-332-3728 or go to their website at DotEdison.com. And now, back to Priority Talk with Greg Davis. My life be like, ooh, ah, yeah, ooh, my life be yeah, like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, yeah, ooh. We are back in, and we continue our conversation with Mark Burrell. He is the author of this uh, wonderful new book, Rediscovering the American Covenant, A Roadmap to Restore America. And uh, it's just a, uh, one of the best resources I've seen in a long time uh, when it comes to understanding uh, government and America and uh, what was done uh, well and what went wrong and how do we fix it. Uh, Mark, just outstanding. Tell, tell folks, uh, uh, we've got them linked up, I think, over to Amazon on our website. I can change that if you want us to. Where, uh, where do you want people to go to learn more about you or find the book? So my website is defendamericanliberty.com, hopefully memorable. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can also buy the book there. And you can, uh, my contact information is there if you want to reach out. I, I speak at churches. Um, um, you know, my goal is to, to use this as a way to reach out to the church to help people not only rediscover uh, the covenant, but um, rediscover the wonderful history that we have and the responsibility that we have but also grow their faith. Now, I, I tell people, it's not so much that this is a political book and you should read this because you need to get involved in politics. No. It's more of, you should read this because this is going to take your faith to the next level mm. because you're going to understand to a much greater degree what it is that God was doing in the Old Testament with Israel. You're going to very much more appreciate what was happening uh, to Israel and uh, and. In the process, you will grow. You'll come to know more about uh, how important it is to govern justly, what an incredible responsibility is, and what an incredible blessing it is that we live in America where we were given uh, a biblical template for governing. It it really is a – this will grow your faith. I agree. And, look, I've got a a better understanding of of lots of the Old Testament from reading this because you're sort of – you're coming at it through the lens of of government and and understanding – uh, you know what was going on in the biblical narrative, in the story, and in, in in the history of of the nation of of, of Israel, and uh, it, yeah, it, it's increased my Bible knowledge and my understanding uh, greatly. I, I totally agree with you. And a lot of people think government, and they're like, eh, they see what's going on in D.C. or they see what's going on in their own, you know, capital, and uh, they get frustrated with it. But look, you know, Mark, God gave us civil government. I mean, this is a biblical thing. God gave it to us. It goes all the way back to Genesis, right? Right. Right. We can't, yeah, he, we can't run he, from it or act like it's evil. It's not. Uh, at its core, at its uh, what God gave us, it's the way that God has said, this is how you uh, live together as a people. That's exactly right. In fact, if you ask the question, start, start here. There's so many ways to talk about this argument. Start with this question. What's the biggest problem that mankind has ever had, other than our sin problem? Right? That is our biggest problem, right? Sure. <laughs> but Jesus solved that one. It all comes from so there. Yep. Our, yep. So, so what's the biggest problem that we have? And the answer is living in peace with your neighbor, not only your next-door neighbor, but the nation next door. So then the question is, well, does the Christian faith have anything to say about that? And the answer is 
Yeah, <laughs> it's a ton to say. Yeah. Not only does it have a lot of guidance on on how to uh, start a nation, how to govern justly, it uh, it helps you understand how you can go on your own personal faith journey, which is ultimately what we're all trying to do. And so uh, a little later on we can talk about the evangelistic twist here because that's one of the reasons that the church, uh, so many church leaders say, well, we're more concerned about evangelism, so we don't want to talk about politics. I completely debunked that argument, which yep. you, if you're far into the book, you, you saw. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, this is, uh, this is the biggest problem. So, so maybe I could talk a little bit about what, uh, what the process is and, and how to govern justly. Can, that was my I next question. Yeah, let's talk about, okay. um, you, you lay out the process. I mean, God said, here's government. So what's the process uh, for establishing such government? So the process has four steps. The first step is to acknowledge God and his moral law. And I'm just going to make a connection with the Declaration of Independence as I go through here. That happens in the first paragraph in the Declaration where they talk about the law of nature and of nature's God, which is a direct reference to the law as known through conscience. In other words, you know, if you're with someone and you don't know the Bible at all, if you're with a friend, you know you're not supposed to kill your friend. You're not supposed to steal from them. You're supposed to be, I'd like, you know that. And so that's the law is known through conscience. And then the second part of that is uh, law of nature and of nature's God, which is true direct reference to the moral law as delivered through the Bible. And I have all the quotes from that era to prove that that's exactly what that phrase meant. So in other words, the first paragraph acknowledges God and his moral law. In fact, what they're saying in that first paragraph is, listen, we all know this moral law is the standard for living, and so we're going to explain to you why we are separating from England. And, and the rationale is based on, at the end of the day, on the immoral rule of the king of England, which they detail with 27 examples. The next step is to commit, and the way you commit, uh, the way Israel committed, is they uh, offered sacrifices. That was the known practice at the time. If you were striking the bargain back in antiquity, you the, the people would come together, they would each bring a sacrifice, they'd cut this thing in half, and then they would declare in front of the people, you know, I'm going to buy this piece of property for 30 pieces of silver or whatever. And then they would walk through the, uh, the cut pieces arm in arm, and that sealed the deal. Whether that's how they committed. Mm -hmm. Third, they would make a formal appeal to heaven. And if you look at the last paragraph, I think it, it may be the last or the second to the last paragraph, where it says, um, and I'm going from memory here, appealing to the, the supreme ruler of the universe for the rectitude of our intentions. Rectitude means truthfulness. And so they were making a formal appeal to God for help. You have to do that. And then lastly, they declared it. Now, in the days of Israel, they declared it when it, Moses came down and showed them the, the Ten Commandments and said, hey, God says if we follow this, uh, we'll, he'll bless us, but if, if we don't, he'll curse us. And so are we, are we in? And they all acknowledge and say, uh, we will do as, as God uh, requires. So they, they declared it. And, of course, the name of our founding covenant is called the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. So, so there you get the four steps. You have to acknowledge God and his moral law. You have to commit to it in whatever the custom is of the day. In the in the founding, they signed their names. That's how they committed. Which, by the way, 
meant that they were committing treason. Treason, yeah, sure. <laughs> so this is like the chicken and the pig. Who's committed to breakfast, right? The pig was committed because uh, he uh, provided the bacon, which meant he gave his life. So commit and then appeal and then declare. And if you think about that, Greg, when you got married, you did all of those four things. Mm -hmm. In other words, this is not just the principle for starting a nation. This is the principle, this is the blueprint, this four-step blueprint for doing anything of legal consequence. In other words, for establishing a covenant, including a marriage covenant. Because just think of the last wedding you went to. You do all four of those. And, uh, and so this, this applies to any, any covenant. So that's the answer to how you start a nation or how you start a marriage Absolutely. or how you start a business. Absolutely, and uh, so well said, and it's in the book, uh, and, and even a mo in a more thorough way than that. I mean, he just gave us the outline. Uh, look, this book is just, you've got more uh, scripture references than, uh, than most um, commentaries um, have, <laughs> quite honestly. Uh, I mean, it is just chock full of biblical references. This is where this came from. This is where this came from. Here's, here, you know, here's how they knew to do this. I mean, it's just amazing. Talk to us about justice. Um, you give a blueprint. Yeah, so uh, again, I'm an engineer, and engineers like formulas. And so uh, what I try and – I'm always trying to make this simple for people to remember because I know that it's a lot of information, and I know it can be overwhelming. Uh, but if, if you ask the question this way, what's the simple formula for why America has provided so much freedom to its citizens? And the answer is in the Pledge of Allegiance if you go to the last line of the pledge, it says, with liberty and justice for all. And so the, the way I, I take that is I say, what's the goal of, of uh, living in America? And that the goal is freedom. Well, you just don't say you, you want freedom and get it. The way you get freedom is you have to first provide people with their religious and civil liberty. So religious liberty is the ability to have and express an opinion, even if it's unpopular. Civil liberty is the ability to accumulate and manage property. And then justice, so it's liberty and justice for all. Justice is ensuring that everyone's rights are protected as defined by the moral law. So in other words, all legitimate rights must be in harmony with the moral law. Mm. So if we look at this Respect for Marriage Act that was recently passed by Congress, What's the problem with that act, which is trying to protect same-sex marriage? They're, they're calling same-sex unions uh, as a, you know, they're trying to protect it as a legitimate marriage. The problem with that is that it violates the moral law. Yes. It's sort of like passing a law to outlaw gravity. You know, we could say, let's outlaw gravity because when people fall, that blunt force trauma causes broken bones, and, you know, we, we don't want that. So I know. Let's just outlaw gravity so they, they never fall down. I mean, that's ludicrous, right? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine passing the law to outlaw gravity? <laughs> but that's, in fact, what they did in passing that law. It, it has no effect because it's a clear violation of the moral law. And so the idea with justice is to focus on protecting everyone's individual right as, def as defined by the moral law. You have a right your life you have a right to be dealt with honestly 
You have a right to have your property protected. These are the rights the government is instituted in order to protect. And so it's civil justice we're talking about here. It's not social. It's not environmental. Those are all progressive, uh, convoluted ways of thinking about it. Civil justice. Uh, it's civil justice. And so, so the formula I put, I think it's in Chapter 6. Yes. Uh, the formula for freedom. If you want freedom, then you've got to provide liberty and civil justice equally and impartially as defined by the moral law for everyone in your community. And that's how you live free. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. That really jumped out at me, the formula that you lay out there. Okay, I've got to take another break, and we'll come back. you got time for one more segment, Mark? I do. I, I want to ask you just some more specific questions when we come back uh, and let you give uh, maybe some, some quick hitter answers um, that, uh, that, that you can – that we can lead people to get the fuller answer when they get the book. But I, I want to hit some quick topics when we come back on the other side. Okay. It's Mark Burrell, Rediscovering the American Covenant. Uh, you can uh, find him at uh, defendamericanliberty.com, and we've got him linked up there at our website as well, prioritytalkradio.com. Hang on for us. Priority Talk. Greg Davis here, and I want to remind you of Priority Talk's longest-running advertiser, and that's Today's Family Dentistry, your friendly dental practice conveniently located in downtown Coleman. Make your appointment to see Dr. David Kim, Dr. Key Tan, or Dr. Stephanie Young, along with an experienced and certified team of dental technicians, along with a friendly staff, I might add, who serve both children and adults with a wide range of dental services. That includes general and restorative care, along with the cosmetic enhancements to meet all of your family's dental needs. Today's Family Dentistry accepts Medicaid for children under 21, Blue Cross Blue Shield All Kids, and most commercial insurances. Give them a call today and make your appointment, 256-739-3337. That's Today's Family Dentistry located in downtown Coleman. Call today and make your appointment, 256-739-3337. Today's Family Dentistry in downtown Coleman. Hey, everybody, this is Pam Tebow, and I just want to give a shout-out to Greg Davis on Priority Talk. Greg Davis here, back in for another 10 or 11 minutes here with Mark Burrell. And uh, we are having a just a very fascinating conversation with him. His new book is Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. It's, it's, it's a must-get if you uh, don't have a great understanding of, uh, or any understanding, or you want to increase your understanding of government throughout uh, the Bible all the way into America and, uh, and working way forward all the way to contemporary issues. Uh, Mark, uh, in my work, uh, a lot of times I have uh, people that'll say that we don't get inv- involved in politics. We just we're just into evangelism, and maybe they'll say we're into evangelism and discipleship, not politics. Can you separate yep. those things? You cannot, uh, and that is the number one objection that I hear from people that uh, when you want to bring up politics or or anything related to what's happening in the political arena, that is the number one answer that uh, that I get. And so the question I like to ask them is, so did God have an evangelistic strategy in the Old Testament? Because clearly the Great Commission that everyone is saying is so important, and, and it is important, I don't mean to diminish it, the Great Commission is a New Testament thing. Mm-hmm. And so what was God's strategy in the Old Testament? 
Testament for evangelism. Did he even have one? And the answer is, yes, he had one. <laughs> and the evangelistic strategy is captured in Deuteronomy 4, yeah. where Moses says that, hey, if you guys follow these commandments that I'm giving you and, and take possession of it, this will show the nations around you your understanding, and they will see how God is blessing you, and they will come and check you out. That is, that is the reason Moses gives in Deuteronomy, one of the reasons. And in addition to being blessed for being obedient, the other reason, the another reason for governing justly is so that the other nations will come check you out. And so that leads to a logical question. And by the way, this is in chapter 4. I, I dedicate a whole chapter to it. And there's a killer illustration in there, which I'll describe in a second. The answer, or the question is, did this ever happen? And the answer is, it did actually happen. And this event shows up almost without context, uh, unless we're having a conversation on this question of evangelism in the Old Testament. And the event is the visit of the Queen of Sheba, Mm. which I think almost all of us have heard, you know, of the Queen of Sheba. And she came with this great caravan, and we make jokes about it, right? We talk about someone, oh, she came in like the Queen of Sheba, you know, in other words, made a big entrance. And, uh, and so I talk about this in Chapter 4, and it, it specifically describes this queen who's a searcher. She's a seeker, what we would call today a seeker. And she comes and she asks Solomon all these questions, and, and it's recorded in, uh, I think it's in Kings, I forget the exact verse, where she, she, it says at one point she's overwhelmed with what she has seen. And she actually says almost word for word, what a blessing you are to your people that you're administering uh, that you're so close to your God and, and you're administering justice. In other words, she came, she heard about it, she came, she checked it out, and she had a conversion experience. And if you're wondering if it was a genuine conversion experience, you don't have to wonder because Jesus, when confronted with the, with the Pharisees later on, they come to him and say, hey, we know you've done all these miracles, but show us a sign that, that you're really from God. And remember his response. He says, only a wicked generation asks for a sign. And he first talks about uh, the men of Nineveh will stand in judgment over you. And he's referring to the fact that God sent Jonah to, you know, that Jonah shows up, basically says, turn or burn, and the whole city repents. Turn, yeah. And then, yeah, and then he says, the queen of the south will stand in judgment because she traveled a long way. And uh, and so this is what I love about the Bible, Greg, uh, this this exchange gives Jesus an opportunity to validate the queen's conversion back in the Old Testament on the basis of what? Of how they were governing justly. This is during the reign of Solomon, which was, you know, their high point, one of their high points uh, in the Old Testament. And so... Well, a more contemporary example of that is, are there parallels to that in in de Tocqueville coming to America? Well, he certainly came and gave us a great. He came and checked it out, and he said, "He said, look, it's the churches, it's the, it's the." This is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It was very unique. Where I thought you were headed is this is why people come to America. Yeah. Crying out loud. I mean, they're they're not coming for the free stuff. They're coming because they want a chance at a better life, and they've heard that they can live free, that they can get jobs, that they can that they have a measure of of civil liberty. So here's an idea: What if we 
talk to them as they were coming into the country, as they're hopefully going through the process, right? They should be going through the process, not just jumping over the, uh, coming over the border. But that's a different topic. What if we just said, hey, let me tell you about America. Let me tell you what's special about it. And you explain the covenant. You explain what the law of nature and, and of nature's God is, the moral law summarized by the Ten Commandments. You talk about what, what that means as a Christian and the fact that, you know, we see ourselves as sinners because we can't measure it. In other words, you, you evangelize. You explain the evangelistic process in these conversations. And, Greg, I am having these exact conversations with a number of my senior leaders in the company that I work at. And I can tell you, these, these are not only fun to engage in, people are hungry for an explanation as to what is going on in America. And I just go in and say, hey, there's two worldviews. Let me explain them to you. Yeah. I don't go in arguing or anything. And, and in the process, I share the gospel. So, yeah, this argument is just yeah. flat wrong. And if we don't, if we don't uh, engage politically, uh, the ability, our, our right to, to live freely and to and to share this message that you're talking about, we're going to lose it. And uh, and churches right. that 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 are pastors who teach that, I stay out of politics. Uh, we just focus on evangelism and discipleship. Like you can separate those things. What they're doing is they they may have people in their congregation or under their influence, and they're they're discouraging those people from getting involved. And, and it's just it's just a uh, you know compounding upon itself. So it's an incredible yeah. chapter, and you take an angle on it that I, I, I don't know that I've ever read many people uh, do as thorough a job on it as you did. Let me hit you with a couple of quick hitters here that you do address sure. in the book. Now, th- these are a little bit more specific questions, not necessarily connected to one another, but I know these are things that people uh, you know like to, uh, to, to understand or, or don't understand. Was America founded as a Christian nation? You talk about that. What's a quick answer? Yes. I, I agree. <laughs> and- yeah, the, the evidence is in the document that they produced. It mentions God four times, you know, divine providence, uh, uh, appealing to heaven, to the supreme ruler of the universe. I mean, it couldn't be more overtly Christian. Uh, now, were they expecting everyone to be Christian? No. This is the beauty of the American system, because we truly do respect that everyone is going on their own personal faith journey. And so we want them to exercise their liberty. We hope that they'll come to come to faith in Christ. But you know what? If they don't, as, they're welcome to live here as long as they agree with the covenant. Um, do uh, were the founders deists? You hear that a lot. That they they weren't really uh, Christians. They were deists. A firm no. And and this is uh, one of those things that unless you really dig into the theology uh, first and understand what they did. It, people are guessing. People are complete. You know, we have all these historians that are looking back, and of course, the progressive narrative is to try and besmirch their faith. And that, this is where this came from. They just, oh, they were just deists, yeah. product of the Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. No, they were a product of the Great Awakening, and they were theological giants. And when you understand the theology, and then you see what they did, and you look at their quotes and their speeches. There's no other conclusion. These guys were spiritual giants. Well, absolutely. Maybe, maybe there were a couple of them that, that leaned a little deist, 
Um, and they're the ones that get emphasized Agreed. so strong. Maybe a couple of them. And that's the ones that we know the best for some reason. <laughs> uh, yep. But overall, yep. look, Mark, I, I took a whole year on this show. Every Friday I spent about 30 minutes, and I went through every uh, signer of the Declaration, one a Friday. And I was blown nice. away at the, uh, at, 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 the, at the spiritual giants that they were, to use your terminology. They were, they were pastors and ministers or their family or their – or their fathers were. They were seminary presidents. I mean, uh, they they were uh, they were Bible believing uh, Christians. All right, let's talk about slavery. Why didn't the founders? Why didn't they just abolish slavery? You know, the the original sin, as it's called. We hear so much about this. Of course, they did set up a a, a system by which it was gone within uh, you know a hundred years. Uh, but but why didn't they just abolish slavery at the founding? So the quick answer is it wasn't politically possible. Right. The issue that was most urgent was to try and free themselves from the tyranny of the king. It wasn't to free the slaves. Now, having said that, the question that you have to immediately talk about is, what was the difference to the slave living in the colonies 30 years prior to 1776 versus 30 years after? And the answer to that is, a, a tremendous amount of difference. And it's because of all the things that they did uh, as part of transitioning to the new government and as part of going back to the states. Folks have to remember that the federal government that they established was practically impotent. It had no power. They could not finance the war. It's a miracle Washington could even do what he did because Congress was not giving them any money. There was no power. And so you've got to remember that, that the power was in the states. And so then your question should be, okay, well, what did the states do? And the answer is a lot. By 1800, all the northern states had either outlawed or had passed laws that were on the way to outlawing slavery. And uh, and at the end of the day, it was the southern states, a handful of southern states, which wanted to maintain the institution. And, of course, we know what that led to. Uh, But the founders believed that uh, they had set it on the path to extinction, and uh, and they fully expected that it would be eradicated. And it, it, w- and it, and it was. It, it Maybe it took a little longer than they imagined it might, but things usually do. Mark Burrell, Rediscovering the American Covenant, we can't recommend it to you high enough. Uh, we just scratched the surface, guys. I'm just telling you, this book is chock full. It's wonderfully illustrated. Um, uh, graphics and uh, you even got some charts and things in here to help us understand and to visually pull us in. Uh, there, there's practically not a page of this book that I don't if I open it, I'm interested in every page. I mean, it's just like that. So Mark, I can't thank you enough. I've run right up against the break, my friend, but uh, we, we'll we'll just have to have you back on and just dive into one of these topics for, for, for a longer length of time. Maybe we can do that. Would love to do that, Greg. Mark Burrell, you guys find the book DefendingAmericanLiberty.com, and it's also at our website as well, PriorityTalkRadio.com. Hang on, folks, and we'll be right back. 